Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Of all the divisions in America, none is as insidious and destructive as racism. The powerful new documentary, The Long Shadow, takes a shockingly candid look at America's original sin, slavery, and traces the history of slavery from the country's founding up through the insidious ties to racism today. We witness, we witness from the moment of America's birth how slavery was embedded in the principal structural elements of society. And yet, even as slavery ended, these systems still operate today in various forms, carrying out their original purpose to diminish the social role of black people and keep them in a perpetual state of suffering. And with that, we're joined today by the director of this remarkable new documentary called The Long Shadow. And the director is Francis Causey. Francis, welcome to Film School. Mike, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being here. I I watched this film with a tremendous amount of interest, not only as someone who's followed politics and been in politics and and understands, just trying to understand the history of the United States going back to when I was a young boy and understanding the purpose of this country. That's something that has been nagging at me for many, many years is why can't we seem to get over this hurdle of racism in this country. And as I've grown older, more and more of the outlines of this system have become more and more apparent to me, but none in such a concise and beautifully rendered way as I saw it in your film, The Long Shadow. Tell me a little bit about your your entry into this project. Sure. Um, well, like you, um, I too, after Ferguson, uh, after you know the riots in Ferguson, I you know, uh, I I said to myself, "Geez, why can't we?" The same question you just stated, you know, what is it um, about us? And so, I started really uh, in the South. I grew up in the South, and I wanted. I had seen terrible acts of anti-black racism, and and. And even more insidious, I think, Mike, the grinding poverty of the African Americans um, in the South. There was just such a clear line. And I had grown up in white privilege. Um, and like most people in the South of privilege, you have um, African Americans um, who worked for you. Um, and because typically domestic service um, was, was one of the primary vocations. Um, and so I began to look um, at the lack of opportunity, and I just kept um, digging and digging and digging. And unfortunately, it it took me back to my own family and their role in the perpetuation of slavery and and Jim Crow. And then later, identifying the South's political role, uh, which is the South has always been organized around white supremacy. And so our politics, the Southern politics, reflected that, which I think is very much prevalent today. And, and you see the support, for instance, with, um, for a, a white, clearly a, a, a white supremacist president who has, who, who has sympathies in that area. And so um, that has had terrible, terrible impact on the black community. Uh, and through, 
through, for instance, things like the South refused to allow FDR to make domestic service and agricultural um, work uh, part of Social Security. So the generational impact on African Americans and their ability to grow wealth in this country is still impacted by that. And there's there's all kinds of examples in the film, for instance, about yeah. housing. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Yeah, in, in terms of housing, for instance, um, a lot of people don't understand that our federal government um, actually, uh, when, I mean, housing as we know it today, being so wildly popular, really didn't come about until after World War II. Before World War II, as a as a as a um, a, a way to keep the troops integrated. I mean, we really didn't have into, we didn't really have segregated housing. Um, you know, poor whites lived alongside poor blacks, and then they all went and fought. And um, but in World War II, what we see is the is the federal housing program actually resegregates because of the influence of the South and its influence federally, right? And also, you needed the Southern politicians. If you were a Northern politician or a Western politician, you needed the Southern votes. And so you typically see the South strong-arming other politicians on passing this very segregated, um, discriminatory housing policy. So by the time World War II veterans, Black veterans come back, you know, white veterans have access to things like Levittown and housing equity and good housing, but we're we're resegregating and putting returning World War II uh, black veterans into uh, what would commonly be known as the projects or public housing. And so that ability in the 50s, for instance, to like my family did, to, to make money through the generations off of housing equity was systematically denied. African Americans, and of course, we see in 1968 with the Fair Housing Act, this gets this gets overturned. But by then, you know, there's a lot of potential housing wealth loss that African Americans could have been earning. And then, of course, you have unemployment um, discriminatory practices in unemployment, um, and these things. I think it's important for the audience and your listeners to know that it's like these things have been outlawed by the Civil Rights Act in 1964, outlawed uh, in 1968, you know, housing and, you know, housing discrimination. But for matters of practicality, for instance, today's real estate developers, they get tax credits, tax benefits from building, for instance, voucher or Section 8 housing. And they don't, they, they typically will not build in areas where white folks, you know, don't want that kind of housing. And so you see this, you know, we've outlawed discrimination, but it's the hearts and minds that that we have to win over. And that's a very subtle, subtle um, thing. And why I felt, as this white person of privilege, I felt the need to, to make a film about the implementation of white privilege throughout our you know, systems, um, and and have a white person claim, particularly a Southern white person, claim responsibility for Jim Crow and slavery. Yeah. I just felt that that, you know, the African-American community, they know their history. It's like, you know, slavery and Jim Crow is an American story, and it's so often been ascribed to the African-American community alone. And, you know, I think there's a lot of 
you know, concern about, there was a lot of concern about, I had a lot of concern about, oh, am I, am I talking about something that only a black filmmaker should talk about? But it, it really is not that film. There are films like that. This is a film to other white people right. to really understand what connect the dots. And I really appreciate your understanding and, and seeing and recognizing that in, in literally in 90 minutes, you have all of this history, or I think the, most, the history that matters the most, and it really connects the dots for all people, but I hope particularly the, you know, white Americans, right. particularly of, uh, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant roots who've really benefited, um, whether they know it or not, you know, have benefited from being white. Right. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Frances Causey. She is the director of a new documentary called The Long Shadow, and the film is already out on... Um, iTunes and Amazon and where else, Francis? You mentioned it's also DVD released. Yeah, you can go to our website at yes. thelongshadowfilm.com, um, and you can buy a DVD directly from us, the producers. Um, but it is on iTunes and um, uh, Ubiquity. It's, it's taken it on several pay-per-view platforms. The film is already been in several film festivals, and uh, we debuted the film in theaters last fall. iTunes, Amazon Prime. Yeah, just just Google us, and you, and you should come up with uh, where you can see the film. And the film is uh, the film website you mentioned, The Long Shadow. Dot com is a great is a great resource to go. Yeah, the longshadowfilm.com. Thank you, longshadowfilm.com. The I think you in the f- film that the part of the film that is most enlightening and and really points the way to the rest of the film is just how embedded in the founding of America and how important slavery was. One thing that you pointed out, which I've never heard it put this way, and that is not only was slavery economically beneficial because it provided essentially free labor for the United States to begin to build into an industrial power, but also slave trade was economically very beneficial to the United States and to the banking industry and to the insurance industry and a lot of other industries that become kind of the the capital by which America became the world power that it is today. So that, I thought, was incredibly important and, and the first time I'd heard it put that way. But also your own family's history in terms of, of how slavery unfolded, how slavery operated. And you, it's told in a way that is, is personal, but at the, as well as illuminating the greater story. Talk a little well, bit about the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the, sure. I mean, one of the more startling and upsetting aspects of my research, and um, I and your listeners can go to our website, and under resources, they can come up with a study guide. Our study guide is online, and it lists the 30 or so books that I read for the film. But in the process of my research, I realized that my uncle, six times removed, he was the acting uh, governor of Virginia during the Revolution from about 1775 to July of 1776. And, I mean, slavery still in 1776 was controversial, but it, it, it you know, there was this kind of coded language 
um, that that this gentleman, my uncle Edmund Pendleton, wrote uh, in a in a document, uh, the Virginia Declaration of Rights, which later became a foundational document for the the Federal Declaration of Independence, which basically signaled, according to the research, um, signaled in coded language to the other slave owners that slavery was going to be preserved. It was already a very well-developed institution, but it was still controversial, and they didn't really want to address it in the Federal Declaration of Independence. And so Virginia was the, the wealthiest and biggest colony, and so, and he was kind of an elder statesman. He, he, was very conservative. He had been he had been finally convinced that independence was the way to go. Reluctantly, um, and and so he writes this, this line, which signals to the other slave owners, you know, uh, that that hey, listen, we're going to Virginia says we're going to maintain it. You know, we're going to maintain it. And so what you see then is the institution of slavery. Really, I mean, it was very developed at that point, but it really takes off. I mean. We, we reinvented, you know, for instance, the Fugitive Slave Act, even after the Constitution. Um, you know, we, we really uh, manipulated our laws, our constitutional laws, to keep re-enslaving Africans. And sadly, my uncle um, was one of the, the main architects of that. But so, in, so by the time, um, Mike, you get to the 1850s, right, so you have the cotton gin that's created... Um, I mean, cotton becomes the most prosperous commodity the world has ever known. And so after the cotton gin gets created at the end of at the beginning of the 19th century, you see explosion in the profitability of of slave slave owning and slave holding. I mean, again, it was it was a central theme of of the American economy. And so so by the 1850s, right, um, you have. Slavery, the value of the four million African, you know, slave, enslaved Africans in the U.S., they outstrip the value of all commercial enterprises in the United States uh, combined. That's amazing. Um, and so, so you start to see slaves being mortgaged. If you go to any slave, there's a, we went to a, for instance, a, a um, an exhibition in New Orleans, and you see slaves being mortgaged. Um, people are wildly speculating on the ownership of slaves, much like they did with um, CDOs and credit default swaps in, in the recent Great Recession. I mean, it was the same thing. It was like it was so, it was wild speculation, and people were buying all these slaves. I mean, it, they were, these were human beings that, that, that it, you know, it wasn't, it, I mean, this was, these are human beings used as chattel, used as products. Um, and this country is, it stands in great denial about the role um, that slavery and the cost of the African-American community and Jim Crow, etc. But yesterday or today, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but, but Elizabeth Warren said, hey, we really need to talk about reparations, yeah. right? So yeah. I think, I mean, there's, there's lots of recognition that we are really been, been um, you know, we haven't understood how to deal with it because we haven't had a narrative. And that's what I hope the film does, and it's the film is getting into schools um, also. Um, the right. film is providing a narrative for people to talk about this, and hopefully some action. Right. And you can even see in the reactions to when, and this has come up uh, often, 
over the last, let's say, 20 years, reparations as sort of a political initiative. Right. And so often you you see, literally, you see people on on uh, the, some of these news programs rolling their eyes like, oh, really? You know, right. sort of this very dismissive right. sort of how right. are you, and, and, and almost baiting people into continuing the discussion because there is a, is a sort of visceral understanding that among the uh, a significant uh, part of the population that this is so completely un- uh, unacceptable as to be sort of political suicide. There is this dynamic still in play that is so, and, and, and after seeing your film, it's so much easier to understand and see how these dynamics continue to play out. And, I, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it does. It, again, and I, you talked about housing. It's been one of my my things that I've talked about for years now. Uh, in addition to sort of the the restrictive nature of segregated housing, public housing, uh, there was also the sundowner town you know phenomena mm-hmm. in in the United States. There have been so many things about real estate redlining. All mm-hmm. of the different things that redlining was legal into the '60s, I believe, right? Right, it you, was. You, indeed, you, it was. I mean, yes, indeed, it was. So there are, and the, sort of the institutions, education has been cut off to the African American community, more or less substandard. You know, the, going back to the Plessy de- decision. Um, mm-hmm. You know, going back further with Dred Scott, all these different things that that although they've been overturned. They haven't gone away. And this is the thing that I see going on in, in the U.S. now in our politics. We have a president who is, I'll call him the dog whistle president. And, and, right. And yeah, it, actually, he's not even, he's, yeah, I mean, he is. I mean, during the primaries, you know, he was a lot more obvious about it. But, it, in, it, yeah, I mean, he's no, and Ian Haney, Ian Haney Lopez, who coined that term, is in the film where he wrote a book about it. And he's brilliant about that. Yeah. So it's, so it's blatant. I mean, it's, it's the scary thing is it's like it's not even dog whistle anymore to some degree. I mean, look what happened in Charlottesville, right? Right. Um, and and if people still if, if people still cry race baiting or whatever, it's like they're they're either I think unconsciously or consciously harbor you know anti black racism or you know I mean again my film addresses anti black racism, but of course they've been terrible discrimination against Latinos and. And Native Americans, and right. you know those those deserve their own films. Right. Um, but you know this idea of reparations, or at least you know, the, I think at the least what we could do, Mike, is we could have like a truth and reconciliation commission on par with what they did in South Africa. I mean, right. can't we at least? I mean, I think the House issued some type of apology in 2008. The U.S. House of Representatives didn't make it in, in into the Senate or anything like that. Let's just agree to talk about it and examine it. I mean. And, you know, we we gave reparations to Japanese Americans whom we wrongfully interned during World War Two. Um, I think we gave either 20, I think about 20 to 30 thousand dollars per family. Um, I actually um, uh, went to Uruguay. Uruguay has a national policy of reparations that they've put in place. And so there are ways to actually come up with um, money to compensate you know, African Americans. I think there are about forty million African Americans. Um, I don't know how many are actually. Well, they would all be descended from Af- you know Africans who were enslaved for the most part. Right. But um, you know, like for instance, take some money from the rich white school districts and 
you know, give money to black school districts. I mean, this is this is not rocket science. I mean, if we, if we have the national will to do it, we can do it. Francis, I do not understand for the life of me, and I, I was in politics. I used to run political campaigns. I know something about politics and a little bit about governance. Why in the hell do we have school districts that are, why don't we have a state-funded system that there is a big pot of money and that every single school district gets a, 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 the same amount proportional to the students, obviously. Why don't we have that system? And if there are, if there are uh, school districts in wealthier areas and they want to build an addition to the gymnasium, if they want to they, they fund a, uh, you know, some kind of a, 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 a activity or educational opportunity, that, that, that they have the money they can raise through a, either a local taxation program or whatever. But why do each of these individual school districts based in based on a, a system where it's your district school tax that determines how much money your school district has? And in, right. And why is that? Instead of property taxes, what, right? What, so what? now it's based on for the majority is based on property right. taxes. Explain yeah. why that isn't. Uh, why isn't that the norm? Right. Right. Well, I think I think it's because we have been in great denial that a problem exists in the first place. And it seems like such an intractable issue, you know, that that why do we and I actually say is that we're watching the terrible events. And when we were filming, you know, we were in Mississippi and watching the terrible, terrible um, events. Uh, that occurred in, at the, the church where nine African-Americans were killed by Dylan Roof, you know, in yeah. South Carolina yeah. and the, in Charleston. And it's like, you know, why does this keep happening? I ask, you know, why does this keep happening over and over and over again? And it, the problem is we've never dealt with it. Right. And I think that is a real um, confirmation of the principle of the, of the thesis of the film, right. right? That this really goes back to our founding Back from when, you know, a lot of people don't understand in the early 1600s, black indentured servants and white indentured servants um, had the same status. There, there's, there was, as one scholar in the film says, Mike, as you know, he says, you know, there was actually much more integration between black and white in the early 1600s than there is now. Yeah. And so, so what we've let, we've let this problem, I think, because of, of, because of slavery, because of this incredibly immoral, um, and the film really does shed light, for instance, on the founding of the country. Right. I mean, it, it's really clear if you look at the scholarship of Gerald Horn and others that that you know we you know we broke from Britain in large part because we were very afraid that Britain was going to outlaw slavery in the colonies. Right. They had moved to do that in the Somerset case in 1772. Right. So to answer your question about these contemporary problems, um, we have, we've got to walk before we run. Right. I mean, I, I wish that we would, I wish, you know, we could get the both houses um, of our legislature to pass laws that would, that would you know, put real money and, and help um, schools. And, you know, it's the three-legged stool. The film is really about the three-legged stool of the American dream and how that's been denied African-Americans, education, employment, and housing. Yes. Right? So, so let's just focus on those things and figure out where we can right 
old wrongs, and I wish I had more time to talk uh, to you I, about these other things. No, you got to go. You know, we could go. We could go on. I, all we day. really could. I mean, well, well, there's we really could. There's uh, Francis. There's a couple. One last point I want to make, and and that is, you know, all of these heinous attacks uh, in the church. You're talking about Charlie and uh, yes. uh, and uh, all these things. Almost all these people are talking about inciting a race war. Their right. sort of their manifesto right. includes something about right. that. So th- that's right. further evidence of this. What your film is about. We are still fighting over slavery and the determination of African Americans as equal to us. This is insane to me. It, n- it drives me nuts. Right. And the other thing that is frightening to me, and this is why this film, The Long Shadow, is so important, and that is that what seems to be happening, particularly with our current president in this administration, is he is not trying to broaden his support in the country. What he's trying to do is deepen his support within this segment of our of a society. He is he right. this is his this is his firewall. This this determination to dig to to incite and inflame the racial tension so that he they will always be with him no matter what. And this is a right. huge part of his appeal. A huge Exactly. It's like you know, as we say in the in one as John Powell says in the film, he says, you know, we're um, we're still fighting the Civil War, and the South is winning. Yeah. And this should be, and so what does the South represent, right? The South represents this organized white supremacy, this organized white nationalism. And these elements have been around since our founding, and our country was predicated on, on these type of uh, immoral um, ideas and thoughts. And we, no country on earth, no modern contemporary country on earth uh, institutionalized um, racism and did what we did with slavery. I mean, I get, I hear a lot from people who say, oh, we've got trafficking in slavery now. Nobody did. It's a special case in our country what we did against African Americans. It is different. I mean, um, it, 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 it's, I'm not saying that it's not um, as terrible and heinous as what happened to, to certainly to Native Americans and First Nations peoples and to some degree Latinos. It's all, it's all yeah. speaks to something we really, really need to address yeah. as a country. And I hope our film prompts those kind of debates. It's already having an impact um, at the high school and college level. And uh, everyone who sees it seems to be um, deeply moved by it. And for that, I'm, I'm so grateful, and I appreciate oh. the opportunity to come on your show. Very good. I'm going to leave you with one last thought. Uh, D.L. Hewley was on Bill Maher a couple mm-hmm. of months ago, or yeah. maybe more, yeah. and he said, it was about Ferguson, they were talking about Ferguson, and he looked dead into the camera and he said, you know what, if white people wanted this to stop, it would stop tomorrow. And I think... That you know, I, I, this is about as succinct yep. as you can say it, and I yep. and in, in your film is a living testament to, to that idea. Uh, Francis Kazi, thank you so very very much for being here on Film School today. Really appreciate your time, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.